Welcome back, children of the revolution, to what you're not listening to, the audio educational and anthology series here on aceofspadespdx.com. And I am your host, uh, Daddy Ben Bear, Ben Brown Jr. You're also your show producer, webmaster, audio engineer, researcher, videographer, and writer doing it all here on the DIY. And today, here in the middle of August, yes, thankfully we've finally come into some cooler weather here in Portland after some absolutely grueling last week. Um, this is what the first of what promised to be a semi-regular recurring feature of this series. Original tracks and cover versions with each performance standing on its own. And the sh- title of the show is We Did It Our Way. And here's the crazy thing. The last time I said semi-regular, we ended up doing five shows in a row. <laughs> Uh, that won't happen this time, I promise, but it, there seems to be a lot of feedback, people wanting these kinds of programs. And uh, for those of you who have taken College Writing 122, this program may sound more than a little familiar. Today, we're going to use the comparison and contrast method to discern similarities between different types of what appears to be the same media. Covers, as they've been traditionally called, have been around since the dawn of music performances. Often called remakes, this is where one artist records a number often associated with another. Sometimes it is a well-known track, um, other times it resurrects a long-lost gem. Now, I know there are those of you out there who may be rolling your eyes, and I can't say that I blame you. Often, covers can be bland and sometimes just downright insulting pale imitations of the originals. I know of no one anywhere who believes Pat Boone's version of Little Richard's Tutti Frutti or Madonna's cover of Don McLean's American Pie are superior to the originals. Uh, The strange fact of the matter is, sometimes the cover is so radically reworked that it is hard to believe it was never an original song to begin with. I can Tina Turner's reimagining of Creedence Clearwater Revival's Proud Mary, or Mitch Ryder's and the Detroit Wheels' transformation of Shorty Long's Devil with a Blue Dress on, are cover song gold standards. I purposely chose tracks that are very well-known cover hits so that you can take this opportunity to also hear the amazing, but often very different, originals. There are no virgin births in rock and roll children, or pretty much any art form of media for that matter. You never know where inspiration will take you. Listen, learn, and have a real good time. All right. With all that being said, let's get right into it. And kicking off this full and interesting program is a track originally written by Bruce Springsteen, but not released by him until the mid-1980s. He gave the song to an aspiring rockabilly singer he admired, as they both were cut from the same influences, including Elvis Presley and Roy Orbison. Accompanying the singer is the legendary guitarist Link Ray, whose single Rumble is considered one of the greatest instrumentals of the rock era. The cover, which follows, resurrected the careers of what was once a quartet of women from uh, Oakland, California, and all are real sisters. When the group took a hiatus in the late 70s, the baby sister, Bonnie, went solo, and the remaining three, Anita, June, and Ruth, went in a more pop direction than in earlier than they did in their career. Their version of this single went all the way to number two on the charts and started a series of highly successful singles and albums. From 1978, this is Robert Gordon with Link Ray from the album Fresh Fish Special. And from 1979, the Pointer Sisters from the uh, album Energy with Fire. And we'll see you in 30 minutes. I'm driving in my car. Turn on the radio. I'm pulling you close. But you just say no You say you don't like it But girl, I know you're a liar Cause when we get 
come to know She's going back To find what's left of her world The world she left behind Long ago
welcome back, children of the revolution, to what you're not listening to here on Ace of Spades, PDX.com. And I'm still your host and all-around monkey bear, Daddy Ben Bear. Ben Bro Jr. doing here the DIY for audio education. Never really sounded this good, did it? Right. Music education never sounded this good. That's a recap we've heard in the first part of our uh, program. Before we get into the second part, shall we? Kicked it all off. With two versions of Fire, one from 78, one from 79. First one by Robert Gordon with Link Ray, and the other one by the Pointer Sisters. And I'm going to... This isn't a contest, but you know what? You know, when you're dealing with the Pointer Sisters, just understand you're dealing with the force of nature. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Following that, Never Can Say Goodbye from 71 by the Jackson 5 from the album Maybe Tomorrow. The pride of Gary, Indiana, the Jackson 5 were the last of the infamous Motown music machine that groomed their acts in a... Uh, every conceivable manner, from clothing, picking songs to producers, right down to handle handling themselves in public. The formula worked for several years, resulting in a string of mega-selling singles, albums, and a sold-out world tour to screaming teenage girls. The, they bitterly left Motown in 75 and became one of the few acts to transition from teen heartthrobs into platinum, stadium-filling adult musicians. After that, from the album Never Can Say Goodbye. It's title track to that from 74 by Gloria Gaynor. Originally born Gloria Fowler, Gaynor was originally a jazz singer who released several singles to little public acclaim. She soldiered on with her career for over a decade before landing this massive worldwide smash, considered one of the 100 best dance songs of the second half of the 20th century, in a list compiled by television network VH1. Incidentally, the success of this track would be overshadowed by one of the most memorable dance hits of the 70s, the Grammy-winning I Will Survive, which was voted the greatest dance single of all time on the same VH1 list by Gloria Gaynor. You go, girl. Following that, Midnight Plane to Houston, a country track from 1972 by Jim Weatherly from the album Weatherly, his debut. Originally hailing from Alabama, Weatherly originally was a college football player and almost made it into the NFL. He did what many singer-songwriters during this period did. He landed a record deal and released an album of songs in the hopes that someone might cover them, which was not unlike what the career Elton John once envisioned for himself. This originally wasn't a hit for him, or in its first cover, Midnight Train uh, to Georgia by Sidney Houston, and Midnight spelled M-I-D-N-I-T-E, former uh, singer uh, with Aretha Franklin's backup band, The Sweet Inspirations. Following that, from the album Imagination, one of, the, for my money, one of the 10 best R&B albums of the decade, bar none. 73, Midnight Train to Georgia by Gladys Knight and the Pips. Originally hailing from Atlanta and taken from the debut album for the group on Buddha Records, released after a bitter business divorce from Motown. Are you sensing a pattern here? This song was also offered to the group by Weatherly's publisher. It became the group's only number one hit and signature song, a worldwide smash that brought the act, who had been recording since 61, to varying degrees of success. Gladys Knight and the Pips would record a beggar's dozen of Weatherly's tracks, resulting in some of the biggest ever chart successes they would have. After that, Tainted Love in 65 by Gloria Jones. And mind you, this wasn't even an A-side. This was the single B-side of My Bad Boys Coming Home. Originally hailing from Cincinnati, Ohio, Jones did record for various labels to little success out of her native Midwest. By chance, a friend and fellow songwriter named Pam Sawyer and her did secure a publishing deal with Motown with several of the acts on their roster. According to the tracks, most notably, you'll love this, If I Were Your Woman, a massive hit for Gladys Knight and the Pips in 70 that was also nominated for a Grammy Award. 
She is best remembered, however, as the partner of Mark Bolin of English glam rock group T-Rex, recording and touring with the band as a singer and keyboardist for over four years, and was a highly in-demand session singer, even appearing in the Oscar-winning documentary 20 Feet from Stardom. Following that, Tainted Love by Soft Cell from the album Nonstop, Nonstop Erotic Cabaret from 81. So the question is, how does a non-charting, long-out-of-print single B-side, right, from an American black female soul singer on a long-forgotten small independent label end up being one of the biggest hits of the early 1980s? In the United Kingdom, there was a long-running scene called Northern Soul. Their mission, to seek out and find rare records from small regional scenes by black artists from the United States, particularly from the 60s, and give them the life they never had but rightfully deserved. Soft Cell, made up the duo of Mark Allman and David Ball, were young British men, one gay and one straight, who were enamored of this scene and would perform this track in their live act, eventually recording it for their debut album. And there you have it. Yes, um... Gay men loving black women divas from the States, especially from the 60s. I don't know of any other program like that here in the States, right? Is anyone paying attention? <laughs> Alrighty then. And our last two songs. All right. Kick it all off with Respect from 65 by Otis Redding from the album Otis Blue, Otis Redding, Sing Soul. Redding's stature as one of the giants of 60s Southern Stole almost didn't happen. He was working as a backup singer for Pat T. Cake's band, and while in the studio, he was allowed to cut two tracks. The first one was a rocker in the vein of Little Richard, who incidentally, like Redding, hailed from Macon, Georgia. The second was his first hit, These Arms of Mine. Oh my God. Redding worked tirelessly as one of the hottest live acts of the era. And the song we just heard, what else could that have been? I mean, seriously, children. I mean, there's only like a movie about it this like coming out this week or something, right? <laughs> from 1967, Respect, from the album I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You, Aretha Franklin. Though people still can't wrap their heads around it, this track, the signature song of the Queen of Soul, is considered to be a feminist anthem but was written by a man. Like many of her covers for the Atlantic label, which had become legendary, singer, pianist, and arranger Franklin, herself already an industry veteran when she recorded this track, radically reworked it into to the point that many didn't realize it wasn't an original. Upon hearing it, Redding jokingly said the following, That girl stole my song. <laughs> Truer words may never have been spoken, right? But my God, what a, what a theft that is. Forget trying to steal the Mona Lisa, honey. That's it right there. Alrighty, and the song leading part two of our program has its origins in the mid-1930s when it was featured in the Broadway musical Porgy and Bess, written by a Jewish man, George Gershwin, that featured a black cast, the first for a major production on The Great White Way. The first cover song that would become a national hit was, one, was by one of the greatest jazz vocalists in history and laid the template for many cover versions that followed. One surprising cover of this track occurred 30 years later and is so radically uh, reworked and different into a calypso soul groove as to make it almost unrecognizable from its roots. It was the highest charting single for this artist, whom Pryor had recorded two tracks that would become all-time lowrider classics, I Do Love You at Sitting in the Park. His career was cut short not just by health problems relating to type 2 diabetes, but a fatal car wreck in 1970 that also took the lives of most of his band members. Incidentally, this is also one of Bob Dylan's favorite songs. From 1936, Billie Holiday, 
from the Vocalion 78 RPM single A-Side Matrix number 19537. And another Billy, Billy Stewart, from the album Unbelievable from 66. This is Summertime from Poor Game Best. And we'll see you just before the grand finale.
a summertime And the living is easy Fish are jumping, don't you know my darling I said it right now and the cotton is high Like a, like a, like a young lad is a rich, got a rich girl And a young mommy's good looking, yeah
trying to do to my soul What you trying to do to my soul Everything I had was yours And now I'm closing all the doors What you trying to do to my soul You better Girl, I love you so, can't you see it, don't you know I can't stand your alibis, you tell me lies It drive me wild Mercy, no, I can't stand it anymore Oh, what are you trying to do to my head? Trying to do to my head Now I got to draw that line You're not gonna take my mind What are you trying to do to my head You
And welcome back, children of the revolution, to what you're now listening to here on AcePadesPDX.com. As we're coming to the home stretch now here, the grand finale on our we uh, we did it our way, our cover show, our very first cover show. I'm sure you're all around Monkey Bear and host Eddie Ben Bear, uh, Ben Brown Jr. Doing it all here on the DIY still, and let's uh, recap we've heard in part two before we get into our truly unique, and I can't stress this enough, unique grand finale. Kick it all off with two versions of Summertime, one from 36 and one from 66. One by Billie Holiday and the other one by Billy Stewart, because that is just the way the universe works. Following that, again from 66, The Young Rascals from the album Groovin'. This is You Better Run. This was the follow-up single to one of uh, Atlantic uh, Records' biggest acts in the 1960s from uh, their Good Lovin' song, and a group who would score um, a total of three number one singles and several other high-charting tracks, including this groover, with its C to B to E and back again chord progression that made it all the way to the top 20 on the pop chart. They are considered, along with the Righteous Brothers, to be one of the defining acts of Blue-Eyed Soul of that decade. After that, from the album Crimes of Passion from 1980, Pat Benatar. Oh, my, 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 yes. With a You Better Run. This was the lead single off the second album by Benatar, which cemented her status as the most important female rocker to the early part of the decade. Though her version of the song only got as high as number 42 nationally, its parent album was a multi-platinum smash that reached number two on the Billboard 200 album chart, a rarity then or now for a female rocker. It also became a favorite in the early days of MTV and was the second video the channel ever played. And uh, the last two songs here, or last song, but two different versions here that we did. The first one was Take Me In Your Arms, Rock Me A Little While from 65 by Kim Weston, a seven-inch single A-side. Weston was an early signing at Motown Records in 61 and actually hails from the Motor City. She recorded many minor charting R&B singles for the label, not reaching uh, really a, a large audience until this track, a top five soul hit for the singer. Oddly, her biggest success came in the form of a duet with Marvin Gaye, the proto-sunshine soul and dance classic It Takes Two in 67. She still records and tours, most notably in the dance and high energy genres. Oddly, for all the bounce this song carries, it's about a person wanting one last or... Uh, well, bone. All right, there we go. Before their lover leaves. And that happened, right? So much for a goodbye kiss. <clears throat> After that, from the album Stampede, from 10 years later, 75, the Doobie Brothers. Take me in your arms, rock me a little while. So the question is, how does a multi-ethnic group that formed in Northern California late 60s, named after a marijuana cigarette and whose primary initial audience were made up of bikers, end up scoring a worldwide hit originally by a black woman from the 60s? Tom Johnson, uh, one of the founding members of the band and still with the group to this day, stated it was a favorite of his during his teenage years. He also states it took almost three years of coaxing to get the band to cover the song. My God, yes. Alrighty. And our last two artists could not be more different, <laughs> but are linked by a single song, sort of. The first hails from Birmingham, England, and are considered one of the most important music acts in history, being one of the creators of heavy metal. This song, however, isn't much like the rest of their early catalog. It is the fastest track the band ever recorded, by most accounts written and recorded in 20 minutes, and at 163, yes, 163 beats per minute, puts most dance recordings to shame in terms of speed, which was in stark contrast to most of the group's uh, sludgy, slow recorded output. It remains their signature song, even though the title is never mentioned in the track, the title having nothing to do with the track, it is actually about psychosis, and it doesn't even have have a chorus for crying out loud. The playing is so tight and focused that seriously, if disco band Chic had played metal, it might sound like this. 
And our last act hails from West Germany, and we're not, repeat, were not rock and roll musicians whatsoever, but became known for their performances during the Eurovision Song Contest for many years. The duo, married at the time, were backed by the J5 on this track, a West German beat group of the time. Beat groups are actually rock groups, and you will see this terminology regularly in histories of popular music of the 20th century. The lyrics have absolutely nothing to do with the original, instead referencing English writer Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's most infamous character, Sherlock Holmes. Additionally, instead of the proto-grunge heavily distorted fuzz box of the original, the J5 went even further back to the true Big Bang, Detroit rockers the MC5, with guitar scales that were right out of the brothers Wade Kramer and Fred Sonic Smith's playbooks. This long-forgotten track was given a second life as a highly collectible singles A-side in 2018 uh, for Record Store Day of that year. And if you have questions, feedback, comments, dedications, love letters, and requests are always welcome, please drop me a line at daddybenbear, one word, daddybenbear at gmail.com. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn by typing Ben Brown Jr. on my design site, aospdx.com, and using the... Um, uh, the contact form there. Love to you all. This is from 1970, Paranoid, from the album Paranoid by Black Sabbath. And get ready for this. The B side to the single Holly Holy, which was in its also another cover that time of a Neil Diamond song. Yes, a band recording Neil Diamond and Black Sabbath on the same 45, and that happened. Der Hund von Baskerville, 71. Cindy und Bert with the J5 and love to you all. Hey. 